You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Rabble Media. We all know that we don't arrive at our next destination without the proper resources for the journey. Oregon State University has those resources made accessible to you with their eCampus classes so that you can stay on the road and in class. Oregon State eCampus is ranked number five in the nation by U.S. News & World Report. Their online education delivers over 70 programs, including women and gender studies, natural resources, and public health, all developed by the same faculty who teach on campus, designed to help you go out there and into the world. You can join classmates from more than 50 countries worldwide, like Tracy Campion, whose adventure-seeking ways led her to Mexico and, eventually, to finishing her psychology degree online with Oregon State and building a new purpose as a small business self-employment coach. There's no wrong way to get started. So to learn how Oregon State eCampus can help you take nationally ranked university learning with you anywhere, visit ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash road and find the program that's right for you. That's ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash road. There's this idea that you have to have a sprinter van and you have to live in it full time and you need to have like such and such amenities in it and you have to like go park it out in the mountain somewhere and take all these beautiful photos and whatever. But if you just like take a road trip in your Subaru and like throw a tent in the back, like who's to say that doesn't count as road travel or life on the road? I'm Laura Borshevsky. And you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived them firsthand. We don't like to often dwell on the negative, but there are plenty of barriers to entry to doing the things you love, especially the big, more audacious things you might want to do, like hitting the road. Sometimes the barrier is money. Sometimes it's friends and family. Sometimes it's systemic injustices. Sometimes it's social norms and expectations. And sometimes... You join in too, that little voice in your head that tells yourself you can't do it, that you're too new, that you don't have the skills, that you're simply not qualified. If that's been you, or if that's you right now, then this episode was made with you in mind. Because Laura Edmondson, a digital creator, educator, podcast host, athlete, and DEI and sustainability consultant, she's got a lot to say about moving forward in the face of feeling unqualified and showing yourself that it's possible anyway. Currently, in light of the pandemic, she's off the road, but when it's safe to get back out there, Lara's a solo traveler, usually bringing her dog Willie along for the ride. Lara starts us off talking about her van and why her 2013 Ford Transit Connect turned out to be just the right vehicle for her to live and travel out of. And fun fact, this is the exact same kind of van I also found myself gravitating towards for solo travel, having built one out myself in 2018 with a friend. So you can bet I got pretty excited about asking her about her camper, why she chose it, and what's inside. I just loved that it was fuel efficient, number one, because I really try and prioritize sustainability. And I know that driving across the country is not the most sustainable way to travel, but I wanted to do it as sustainably as I thought I could. I also liked the stealth factor of it because it's smaller. I feel like it's less likely that someone will think that there's somebody camping in it. I also liked the size just because it's easier to drive. I liked the price point. The smaller van is a lower price point, which was great. And the fact that I got a 2013 with pretty low miles, so that was um, more accessible to me. 
So yeah, there were there were a handful of reasons why I chose it. Yeah, and I know we both kind of nerded out a little bit about this when we first chatted, but one of the things that I love about the 2013 specifically, which you and I both have that same year of the Transit Connect, is that that's the last year that they made that model, which is significantly larger than the newer models that they have. So um, I feel like you really got like the newest version that's at the biggest size possible for that vehicle. Yeah, it was kind of perfect to get the larger body size and, like you said, the newest version, but it's not the newest like 2020 version because they're so much smaller I knew that that wouldn't be comfortable for me but yeah I did try and find like a 2013 which is the last year they made that body size like you said and I I don't regret it at all getting the older van was definitely worth it yeah what kinds of things do you have inside of your van like what comprises its camperness for lack of a better word (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I tried to make it like as homey as possible. I have a couch that folds out into about a twin size bed, but it does sleep more than one person comfortably. I have a little countertop that is my kitchen and my workspace if I'm working in the van. I have a tiny little micro fridge. I think it's like a 12 soda can holding fridge. But it works. It keeps like a carton of almond milk and some hummus and stuff cold for me. I'm vegan, so I don't need a ton of stuff to be refrigerated but it's nice to have the option I have a solar panel which gives me power and also is connected to the battery in the van so I can charge it that way too when I'm driving so I can just charge devices and keep my refrigerator and my fan running and then on top of that I always have my little dog with me which always makes it feel like home oh my gosh I didn't know you have a dog yep his name is Willie he's extremely adorable he is the best van dog especially for the size van that I have because he's like 23 pounds he's pretty small but he loves to get outside and run around but he's also cool with like doing long car trips too he's very flexible and very down to just do whatever everybody else is doing so he's like the perfect van dog he doesn't take up a ton of space and I'm used to sleeping like having him sleep in the bed with me so if that's not something you're cool with then you might have to like rethink it But I'm fine with him sleeping at the foot of the bed or like getting even under the covers with me, which I might get judged for, but I have a very close relationship with my dog, so. (laughs) No judgment. That's super cute. (laughs) What got you onto the road in the first place? I'd love to hear more about your story to actually making that transition. You know, I know it's on pause right now, but to making that transition to more full-time road travel. So I did van life maybe four years ago now for about five months I was on a kind of like a climbing trip in that van and um, wasn't working at the time so it was kind of temporary but this time around it's been more of a long-term plan so I got this job where I could work remotely and then I was going to be moving out of the apartment and the town that I'd lived in up in New Hampshire and didn't know necessarily where I wanted to end up next So I was like, well, I mean, I lived on the road before. Why not do it again? And that way I can kind of tour the country and figure out where I want to move to permanently. And then now that COVID's hit, you know, everything's on pause and I kind of haven't finished that tour and haven't made a decision yet. But that is what got me on the road initially. That and having a community of friends that's just so far flung across the country and around the world, having the flexibility to kind of spend time with them as I choose and while I'm traveling, it just seemed to make a lot of sense considering I didn't know where I wanted to go next. As Laura spent time outdoors and on the road pre-pandemic, something she took special notice of is what it seems to take in order to be considered a part of a community who values nature. 
let alone an athlete or an outdoor recreationalist of any kind. And what I appreciate about Laura's thoughts on this is that they go way beyond what's obvious or flashy. She spent some time in this conversation shifting focus away from who is already involved in outdoors conversations and instead centers who's actively being excluded and challenges us all to consider why that might be. I think there's a lot of misconception about what it means to be an outdoorist or like who gets to call themselves outdoorsy. Going to your local park and having a picnic with your friends could be the time that you spend outdoors. Going to take a walk by the creek outside your house could be the time that you choose to spend outdoors. Like working in your garden could be the time you choose to spend outdoors. There are all these different ways that people have been getting outside that aren't necessarily featured on the cover of a certain outdoor magazine. So I think that it's important to notice that, that there are more people getting outside. Yes, that's true. But there's also strategically forgotten history of people that have already been outside that just doesn't get acknowledged for whatever reason, which I find really frustrating. I also think that there are a lot of expectations for who gets the most recognition for being outside. Like I'll speak about climbing. You need to be climbing the hardest. That doesn't necessarily reflect your effort because climbing a quote unquote easier grade might require the same amount of effort from somebody, but the person who's doing it the hardest gets the most recognition. The people who are suffering the most is something that I like to point to a lot. The people who are willing to get up in the early crack of dawn and hike out five miles to do some line of climbing that nobody's ever touched before. And it's like you suffered really hard because you had to get up early and it was cold and it was hard and blah, blah, blah. But something that I've started to reflect on and speak about with my friends is like how much suffering there already is in my life and the lives of other black women and other BIPOC folks, other marginalized communities already experience so much pain and suffering. I don't want to bring that into my hobby. I want my hobby to be something that's enjoyable, and I find it a little frustrating to see that that's not always the thing that is glorified the most in the outdoors, just having fun. I think you're right. Like, the more that we focus on that, like, the suffer fest, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, you know, I suffered for it. I think that really does reflect on the privilege that a lot of those folks have um, and a lot of those like personas and identities have because those folks are choosing to take on suffering, right? And it really just acknowledges this huge privilege of like when we choose to take things on that are really tough and then when they've been systemically forced upon us. Yeah, it's a huge privilege to be like, I want to go have like a suffer fest this weekend when you haven't spent your whole week in a suffer fest that you didn't choose that was like you said forced upon you so yeah I think that's just something that I've started to consider like who are we uplifting and why because there are so many people who enjoy the outdoors in their own way and have beautiful stories to tell about the nature walk that they took and how that may have been healing it may have been a respite from suffering for them but those aren't often the stories that we see promoted yeah what does that look like for you when you're doing something outdoors that's not a suffer fest? Like, what is your favorite way to be outdoors and spend time outside that feels good? I like spending time outside with people from my community. That's always been like a really big link to the outdoors for me is 
through community. It's also pretty rare that I just like go out into nature by myself. If I do, it's for usually like a specific reason because I need some time alone. But like I said, it's pretty rare. I would say most of the times when I'm getting outside, it's because I'm going with people from my community who I want to spend time with. And nature is kind of the conduit for that. That's beautiful. It is a it's a great conduit for making connections with people. Yeah, for sure. That's how I found a lot of my community that like the people that I consider closest to me today are through being outside through climbing is how I got connected to Brown Girls Climb about a year, maybe a year and a half into being a rock climber. I got connected with Bethany who founded Brown Girls Climb and through there I've just made so many further connections and like my best friend, I met her through rock climbing and that's something that we will always share together and she lives on the other side of the country but we always talk about how much we can't wait to see each other and what that means for us is the next time that we're going to get to go climbing together. I think that's great and also like the emphasis on connection there and the relationship instead of like oh like what really hard thing are we going to go climb next like and you're like one of the people that helps me to get there it's like what are we going to do together that's a memorable experience that we love that's like how we can further our relationship by doing something that we enjoy together yeah absolutely for me and for the people that I typically would like to go climb with it's not a day spent trying to like climb the hardest grade that we can find or like hike the furthest out into the woods that we can. It's just about like having an enjoyable experience together. And that's not to take away from people who enjoy climbing hard because I think that there is a lot of value in that if that's like something that you intrinsically want to do and it's motivated by something that you are drawn to do. But I think the danger is where that's the only narrative that gets told is like you have to climb hard grades or you have to hike high mountains or whatever it is. I think that's where it gets a little tricky. And none of this is to say like I haven't participated in that because early in my climbing career, for sure, I was like, oh, let's bag the next grade. Like I want to keep climbing harder and harder until I get to where I can't anymore. And then I did that for like a year and realized like, oh, this isn't as much fun as it used to be. I don't like the way this feels all the time that I have to keep pushing myself like it stopped feeling fun and I reflected on why and have since like tried to stop caring about the grades and more so just about the experience that I'm having. Yeah, I think that that's like such a good lesson to apply to so many other areas of our life too. Do you feel like this concept of like the extremism and like what's perpetuated online or like even just out socially in the world um, also applies to the road travel and van life communities in any way? Yeah, for sure. The road travel community, I mean, like there's this idea that you have to have a sprinter van and you have to live in it full time and you need to have like such and such amenities in it and you have to like go park it out in the mountain somewhere and take all these beautiful photos and whatever But if you just, like, take a road trip in your Subaru and, like, throw a tent in the back, like, who's to say that doesn't count as road travel or life on the road? And I think, too, there's this whole other population of people who live and travel in their vehicles out of necessity that often gets left out of the conversation because it contrasts so much with the highly privileged group of us that do it by choice because it is a very privileged choice to make. There are people who live out of their vehicles, not by choice, and they face a lot of stigma because of it. So I think that they are often left out kind of strategically to further glorify this dirtbag life that is chosen. 
Like Laura said, the outdoors as well as the road don't have inherent stipulations, even though it feels and looks that way a lot of the time. It's all been taught and built that way, which means we also have the collective power to slowly change it to something more realistic and equitable. And this conversation brought Laura back to a memory she had from meeting a traveling couple on the road recently, prior to COVID, and the impact it had on her time spent traveling. Van life is pretty homogenous. It's like pretty white. And I've been more intentional this time around about connecting with other van lifers of color, other BIPOC van lifers. But I'm thinking of this one day when I was parked in one of my favorite places in the country, the Oregon coast is so, so beautiful. And I can't wait till it's safe (laughs) to travel again and I can go back there. But I was just parked having lunch out the back of my van and Willie was like on his leash running around outside the back of the van too. And this couple pulled up and it's pretty rare that other van lifers approach me and I'm kind of a shy person and I don't necessarily approach people either, but this couple pulled up and they were just like, Hey, we see that you have your van all built out. And they had a big sprinter van or something like it. And they were like, we've never seen any other black van lifers before. Like, it's so cool to meet you. And it was just like a really positive experience. And it was just great to be able to connect with other people and see that the field is diversifying a little bit slowly, but surely there are more BIPOC folks getting out on the road, which is very encouraging and exciting to see. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for sharing that story. And um, you said you're being more intentional this time around with like, as you are traveling with meeting other black travelers and folks in BIPOC communities. What are you doing to be more intentional? Like, how are you able to make those connections? I started following Diversify Van Life on Instagram. So I've connected with folks there. They kind of share other people from the margin. So it could be BIPOC, it could be LGBTQ, it could be people with disabilities, all these different people in the margins who are doing van life. And so I've been trying to like follow other folks who are black or solo women or whatever it may be and trying to build community that way. And I haven't encountered any of them on the road yet, but Hopefully one day we can have a little Diversify Van Life meetup or something. That would be pretty cool. One of the things that first drew us to Laura online within the road travel community, aside from her van, was how she talked about safety on the road. And while everyone has their own specific take on what safety means to them, we thought that Laura brought a lot of honesty as well as a comprehensive outlook on road travel safety. So we asked her to share some of her biggest considerations when she does find herself on the road again, mainly traveling solo as well as what she did in advance of setting off by herself to begin with. So safety is definitely something that I considered pretty heavily, considering going on the road as a single woman, you know, as a black woman. There are lots of layers to how I approach the safety aspect of traveling on the road by myself. So a couple of things that I did, I took a self-defense class, which I didn't necessarily take thinking I was going to need it for road travel because I took it a few months before I even bought my van and before I was even really considering road travel. But I'm really glad that I did because it makes me feel a little bit safer and a little bit more confident being on my own. So if there's anybody out there who has access to a free or low cost self-defense class, definitely would recommend that. I have a few safety tools that I keep with me. So like mace, a taser, Whatever you feel comfortable using, make sure you know how to use it and you know where it is, especially before you go to sleep. Another tip, make sure you know where your keys are before you go to sleep. I keep mine on a hook right next to my bed and I always keep the front seat clear. So if I needed to ever jump in the front seat and get out of a tight spot, I could do that pretty quickly. 
having my dog, I think, helps me stay safe because he's not very big or aggressive, but he is very alert and aware of our surroundings. So if he hears something, he's going to wake me up in the middle of the night for sure because he likes to bark at strangers. As far as like traveling and like interacting with police, which is a safety concern of mine, I have a bright colored envelope that I keep in my glove compartment so it's very easy to spot if I'm ever pulled over with my information in it I can just reach in and grab that out rather than have to shuffle through my owner's manual and you know the receipt from the last oil change I got and everything else that's in there so it's very easy for me to spot and pull that out and have it ready to go I try to never park myself in whenever I'm parking overnight so I try and park in a place that I'm able to back and pull out of that way I can't be blocked in easily I try and always park around other people which is probably pretty common sense I always try and let at least one person know exactly where I am if I'm parking by myself. And on the other side of that, I try to not publicly post where I am until after I've left. The one other thing I would recommend is the iOverlander app, which if you're in a van, you've probably heard of it. If you haven't, definitely check it out. It's free. But reading and also leaving reviews is really key on the safety or the sketchiness of an area. I've definitely defaulted to like the spot that is less scenic but has a positive safety review versus a spot that's more scenic and either doesn't have a review or says like, oh, it was completely deserted. Like for some people that might be enticing for me, that's a little bit off-putting. So I always try and just like err on the side of safety and forgo scenery until the daylight. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, but I'm curious For you, what is it about somewhere being desolate that feels like off-putting for you? Because I know that, yeah, a lot of people have different schools of thought on that. And for some folks, parking around people makes them really uncomfortable. But for you, it sounds like that's the opposite. Yeah, I guess I just like have faith in the greater good that if something were to happen to me, if there were other people around, they would help. And maybe that's not true. I know there are plenty of examples where that hasn't been the case, but it does make me feel safer. I also think it might be off-putting for people to do something bad if they know that there are other people around to witness and potentially intervene. Again, I know there are plenty of examples where nothing has happened and people have just been left to fend for themselves despite innumerable witnesses, but it gives me like peace of mind. I also always try and park somewhere where I have cell service. And if some place is like remote, it's probably not going to have great cell service where calling for help is going to be difficult. No, that's so true. And it is interesting just reflecting on like my own behavior with traveling. When I travel with partners or friends, I'm usually not worried about, you know, that that element of being like more alone or not. But when I was doing a lot of solo travel, I mostly slept overnight at truck stops, which I was never imagining doing. And some people don't feel comfortable parking at truck stops, so it's not for everybody. But for me, where I was, I felt super comfortable with um, where I was able to find. And that felt like the best place for me. You can park under a streetlight and there are other people around and they're all in their vehicles all night. So if something is happening that somebody else is probably going to be there and probably wake up, just made me feel a little bit more safe as a solo female traveler. Yeah, for sure. I do a lot of Walmart parking lots because I know that there are like people coming and going from the store at all hours. And I slept in like a couple of casino parking lots because those are busy at night too. And they're usually free to park in overnight. One of my favorite things to do on Instagram is troll people by taking like a fake scenic 
picture from the back of my van, you know, with the doors open and, like, a tree in the background and then, like, scanning the camera around to show the Walmart sign. So I'm like, don't believe everything you see online. <laughs> I mean, it's not a lie. I did wake up to this beautiful pine tree out the back of my van, but you just aren't seeing the other side of the van where there's, like, shopping carts rolling across the parking lot. <laughs> Sit tight. We'll be right back to hear more from Laura after this. No matter what's going on in our lives right now, or wherever this year's events have placed us, the reality is that everyone could benefit from tending to our mental health. Fortunately, no matter where you are right now, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Thanks to their online interface, you can connect with your professional counselor by scheduling secure video and phone sessions in a safe and private online environment, meaning that you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can even chat and text with them, too. I haven't talked about this much on the show before, but I struggle with anxiety pretty often, and I tried BetterHelp this year at a time I realized I was feeling alone and needed someone to talk to. And because access to a therapist was limited, going to a counselor in person just wasn't an option for me. This was all a great fit for BetterHelp. After signing up, I was connected with a licensed professional counselor and was communicating with them in less than 24 hours to chat about my struggles and goals for therapy in a confidential online setting. BetterHelp has over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in topics you might be dealing with most right now, too, like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, grief, and self-esteem. And you can customize your needs to get the best therapist fit for you. What's more is that you can start and stop at any time, so you can focus on getting the support you truly need and when. Getting started with counseling can feel scary, but it's really something that can help. And with BetterHelp, which takes affordability into consideration and operates on a sliding scale, you can get started today, even if you don't have an insurance plan that covers mental health services. Women on the Road listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code ROAD. To get started, go to betterhelp.com road. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love so you can start feeling better inside out. Visit betterhelp.com road and use promo code ROAD for 10% off. That's something I've really started to question in the last year is like who is qualified to do something and who gives those qualifications. We're back with Laura. And amid our conversation around what it takes to make someone an outdoors person or to be a road traveler, the word qualified kept coming up. As it turns out, it's something Laura thinks about a lot these days. And I've started just like giving myself qualifications I'm like yeah, I'm allowed to say that I do that because I, I did it. I did my version of it. And so that counts. I love that you said that. What would you say if I asked you right now, like, what are you like, what are you qualified at that like, is something that you've attributed because you're like, yeah, I'm qualified at that. Like, what would you say? The first thing that comes to mind is the podcast that I started this year. It's called Let Us Rest. And I was like, well, I mean, it's just like an Instagram live stream that I put the recording on SoundCloud. Like, does that count as a podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I said it's a podcast, so that makes it a podcast. And if you don't think it's a podcast, you don't have to listen to it. But I said so, so it is. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought up Let Us Rest, too, because I wanted to talk to you about that because it's such an amazing show and came, I think, came into the world at, like, just the right time also. What got you thinking that this was something that you wanted to do with starting Let Us Rest? 
I think that my conversations around rest were really born from my exposure to the NAP ministry. I can't give them enough credit. Uh, The NAP ministry on Instagram, and they have a website as well, is just all about how rest is a form of resistance against capitalism and the patriarchy and white supremacy and colonization and all these other things, because those systems in place depend on our willingness to grind ourselves to the bone for their benefit, not necessarily for our benefit. So I'd been having conversations like with my friends, like, have you heard ideas like this? Like, what are your thoughts on it? And I've been talking with my close friends about this for about a year. And I ended up leaving my job in June and was kind of trying to piece together some projects that I wanted to work on. And this just came to mind. I was like, well, I should have these conversations in public and see what other people think about this. And decided I was like, well, Instagram is a service that's free that I already have access to. So I'll host them on there and I can very easily get the audio recording from the Instagram live feed and post it on SoundCloud. And so that's kind of how it came to be. And now it's on Apple and Spotify too. So they think I'm a podcast too. So if that counts towards my qualifications, (laughs) it started with all of the like free, readily available services that I knew of like already and just kind of grew from there. I think that's amazing because there are so many people who think this is what a podcast is. This is what it looks like. I mean, even when I started on the road, I could only imagine people who had like a studio to do their recordings in and their interviews and I was like don't most people come in to like a studio and you sit and talk with them like a radio show like this isn't a podcast and um it was absolutely a podcast and I think like you've so much like furthered that idea of saying like yeah you can use all the free tools tools that are available to you right now and guess what you can still have people listen to it it still impacts people's lives in a meaningful way there are still important conversations being had and then yeah spotify and apple will probably also recognize it as a podcast if that helps (laughs) what have you learned from the conversations that you've been having so far on let us rest I've definitely learned to expand my idea about what rest looks like because with the nap ministry and for myself, rest a lot of the times looks like stopping what you're doing and sleeping or laying down and like actually doing nothing. But what I've learned is for some people that that's not necessarily restful because of, you know, anxious thoughts or things like that. So finding rest through movement like yoga or through doing like an ancestral practice. Katie Grable Gonzalez was one of my first guests and she shared about how beating is very restful for her. There are all these different things that rest can mean for other people. And especially like looking at some of the barriers to rest that I haven't necessarily experienced, but that other people have shared. Because being able to rest is such a privilege. We were speaking about privilege earlier. Rest is a huge privilege because if like, you are here and you're undocumented, you don't get the freedom to just take a day off when you want to because you don't have the legal protection at your job that a lot of us take for granted. It's just things like that, things that are outside of my experience, out of my lived experience, that other people have just very graciously shared from their experience or from other people that they know. Yeah, it's definitely been a huge, huge learning experience. And we're only halfway through season one. So (laughs) lots more to learn. 
I bet that there's a lot more for all of us to learn from that because everybody does have a very usually scripted idea of what rest looks like. And I'll say I had a reaction when you said like, oh, yeah, rest isn't just like laying down and doing nothing. And I was like, no, I really don't like doing that right now. I do it because I have to fall asleep or I won't function. But that's not rest for me because I do get anxiety a lot of times when I'm going to bed. So I think a lot of folks sometimes can say like, oh, that means there's something wrong with me, right? Like I'm not able to rest. And it's like, well, you know, maybe listen to let us rest. Like what what does rest actually look like? Yeah, rest could look like, you know, taking a walk at the park for some people. Like if sitting at your computer and working all day is the way that you work, then taking a break from that and getting outside and going for a walk is maybe the way that you rest. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your body is stopped moving and you're like laying down, taking a nap. Like you're resting by taking a mental break. Mm -hmm. That's super important to think about. I'm going to keep reflecting on that. For anyone who's looking to get into podcasting and is maybe thinking about using some of those free tools to start out like you have, what advice might you pass along to somebody? Google, Google, Google. That's kind of how I learned. I didn't really know anyone well who hosted a podcast when I started mine. So I just kind of did a lot of internet researching and then also like be okay with it not being perfect. At least that's what's worked for me is I've just kind of released this idea that it needs to sound as well produced as podcasts who are done by people with a studio and with equipment. Like I've just kind of accepted that this is going to be my little imperfect project and it's exactly what I want it to be. And if it serves other people in any way, then that's great. And I've just kind of had to come to terms with that. As far as the free tools that are out there, I stream mine on Instagram because I know that's where I already have a little bit of an audience. So I know people will see it that way. And it's easily accessible for the guests that I have because most of the people that I've had on already have Instagram. So they can very easily go live with me that way. I have a voice recorder on my computer, which I was using to capture the audio. I also have GarageBand that came on my computer, which I used to capture the audio. Spotify has a free... I'm not sure exactly what their limit is, like the number of hours you can post for free, but that is where I started was on Spotify because it's free podcast hosting for, I want to say up to like four hours of content. So consider that. I did have to invest eventually in Podbean, which is the platform that I host my podcast on now, which I think is like 10 bucks a month or something. Not, not super expensive, but I've also crowdfunded a lot of what I do for the podcast. I just kind of put my Venmo at the end of each episode. And if people want to support that way, they do. And that's kind of how I've been able to afford these small little pieces that I have had to pay for. But there are a lot of free tools out there. To wrap things up, Laura shares something folks who want to get into road travel for the first time probably need to hear. And even though she's no stranger to living in a camper, the same advice is something she's been telling herself a lot lately too. So whether you're new to the road or not, you probably need to hear this. You're qualified. That's what I would say. You're qualified because you want to do it. Because you're interested in it, you're qualified. Nobody is more qualified than anybody else. People just have more experience and you get experience by doing the thing. So you kind of just have to find a place and start. There are tons of free resources online. That's where I learned everything that I ever wanted to know about van life was online. Google is your friend. YouTube. YouTube is amazing. There are so many people sharing every minute detail about any van you've ever thought of, any build-out project that you've ever thought of, tons of road travel tips. I get all of my information from Instagram, Google, and YouTube. So 
use those tools that you have and start, just start. Thank you so much to Laura Edmondson for her time, expertise, and honesty in this conversation. It was a delight to have you on the show. To see more of what Laura's up to these days, she shares everything from her travel memories to extremely thoughtful anti-racism and sustainability lessons. You can find her on Instagram at laura.edmondson. You also will definitely want to tune into her podcast, Let Us Rest, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks. So in the meantime, make sure to find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Women on the Road and on Facebook, including our Facebook group for community questions, stories, and support, which you can find by searching for Women on the Road podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Oregon State eCampus and BetterHelp. Music is by Philip Cuchillas, Handsome and Gretel, and Chapters. Women on the Road is a production of Ravel Media. Until next time, keep doing the work, and we're hoping you're all safe and healthy out there. <laughs>